You're listening to Shields Up, a Star Trek podcast from More Trek Media. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the thing that will never die, though? Mm-hmm. Mirasta's power suit. Mirasta's power suit? No. Yeah, look at those shoulder pads. <laughs> no, no, that's that's some dynasty stuff going on right there, isn't it? <laughs> Hello, welcome to Shields Up, a Star Trek podcast. My name's Chris, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Neville. Today, we are talking about Star Trek The Next Generation, Series 4, Episode 15, First Contact. Neville, tell me about the episode, what you like, what you don't like, what you thought of the theme. I don't like being called Neville. (laughs) Neville, okay. (laughs) Nev is fine, please. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Um... Do you know, when I, when I first saw this one, I must have been about 12 or 13. And I saw it on BBC Two, six o'clock, got back from school and scarfed down my dinner and sat in front of the TV. And that's the first time I saw it. And that's the only time I have seen this episode since, uh, until of course uh, you suggested that this be the episode we cover this week. So I had quite fond memories of it. And I was quite looking forward to it, especially with the old uh, Riker taking one for the team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But this time I've obviously understood it a lot better. And it's um, the giant allegory that the episode is. So um, I'm looking forward to it very much. It was great fun watching this. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. That's good. It's, it is a great episode. I remember seeing it the first time as well um, with my dad. Wednesday evening, six o'clock, BBC Two. I must have been. I'm a little bit older than you, aren't I? So. Yes, it you was, are, old man. You are old man. It was. I must have been about. No, it must have been late, mustn't it? I must have been about sixteen or seventeen or so, because it was first released in in the US in ninety one. But then it didn't start in the UK till a lot later, did it? So it must have been like... I, I thought we were a couple, three years behind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I must have been about 16 or 17 then. Mm. But yeah, it's mad, isn't it? I can't I can't remember when that was. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I really enjoyed this episode then. And I have watched it a few more times since. Um, which is uh, one last summer when I rewatched the whole of the next generation and this one had stuck out to me quite a lot because mainly because it hasn't got oh sorry mainly because the main characters in this episode aren't our normal Star Trek heroes they are it does show it from a different kind of perspective and that's quite fun actually Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so you have like four main characters in this episode which aren't regular people you have minister yale who's the doctor who's working on warp drive technology you've got darken the chancellor of the planetary unified government you've got crowler who is the head of security and then you also have dr beryl who is the man who is originally treating Riker for his injuries and then obviously you've got a few other people you've got lilith from friends coming in and not friends from Cheers. Yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> do, you, do you know that 
She she was also because I had to look her up because mm-hmm. I know you said that she looks familiar, mm-hmm. and and she did look familiar to me as well. I was trying to pin her down. She is the hot high school principal in the faculty. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, she is an attractive woman. I'll give you that. She's she's, she's not in this. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, I I think you're quite racist talking about their cranial ridges. Um. <laughs> you know, I, she this like uh, she she plays a lady in this episode called uh, Lanel, and she's a bit of a bit of a freak, I think. This that whole scene with her is a, a total departure from the um, theme and t- style and um, of the rest of the episode, because it seems yeah. like it's it's a lot more fun. It's like oh, we've got this person who wants to be in Star Trek. Let's. Let's uh, shoehorn this sort of comedic scene in, where she's um, she goes, "I'll help you escape, but you've got to do me." <laughs> you know, and it's like, where did this come I, from? It's it's weird. I, I think she says, "You have to make love." To me. Yeah, sorry, that's right. She does say it that way. <laughs> I'm I'm not known for my romantic uh, tone of speech, you know. <laughs> She's she's a uh, she's a, a, a typical sort of groupie, mm. and I, I think um, well, no, I don't think there's anything anything wrong with it uh, because she gets what she wants mm-hmm. to make love to an alien, yeah, and um, and Riker gets what he wants, so I don't see any problem with it. it, it but the thing is, it is it is completely out of kilter mm-hmm. for the rest of the episode, yeah. and it serves only to confirm what we knew about Riker he's all a, along. <laughs> he's a proper shagger. A bit of a ladies' man. That that is a, a weird scene, totally. Yeah, it is. It is. It is strange, but it. it I think it adds a bit of, a bit of comic relief mm-hmm. because I think a lot of this episode, is is, pretty much, on the nose, mm-hmm. for today's society, and uh, this just gives us a little welcome break from that. It does happen right in in the bit where right in the middle of the episode where the the tone of the episode changes from. You know, uh, Picard tentatively stepping around first contact to then you have that situation with Lanell and Riker. And then afterwards, it is all about how the feelings of the people on the planet change to, oh, they are spies and um, and they go to interrogate Riker and, and, and everything. So it's sort of like, oh, we do this scene and it breaks up the two styles of the episode as well. Yeah, it serves as a nice intermission. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this is funny. This makes me laugh. He just comes in there. Oh, my alien. Now, now, will you help me? If you make love to me. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? <laughs> I like it. Like it sort of cuts and then she walks through the door, doesn't she? All sort of like, oh, ah, yes. <laughs> and they're like, all right, okay, wicked. <laughs> Bit of bit of a shaky knee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll just just oh no, man. Yeah, that's right. I was going to be incredibly rude then, but I'm I'm not going to be. <laughs> You've already said shagger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is there is some there is some great lines in this, um, and, and great little speeches um, and dialogue, especially pertaining to the prime directive, you know, which is. Um, you don't interfere with a another species that isn't more capable. You just leave them alone. And like Durkin is talking to um, P- 
Picard about it, and he says, "I can infer from that directive that you do not intend to share with this share all this exceptional technology with us." And Picard replies, "It is not the whole meaning, but is a part of the prime directive." And Durkin says, uh, "Your way of maintaining superiority." And Picard's response is, "To instantly transform a civilization with technology would be harmful and destructive." And um, I, I have that same quote written down right here. Yeah, yeah, I don't, it's, it's a good quote. It's a good quote. It it means more to I think, especially with how the Malkorians are and their worldview because they believe as a society that they are the supreme being and their planet and their world and way of life is the center of the universe so when they're suddenly beamed up to the enterprise and they realize that they're woefully inferior it's it's a big shock to their worldview and and if they're if if that is like their entire civilization and and culture and what they're taught is that they are the the greatest it shows a lot of of promise or how Durkin is very open-minded, especially compared to Crowler. The juxtaposition between Crowler and Marista is, is quite stark. And again, it's a bit on the nose. It's not subtle. They're both, when they're both there with the Chancellor talking with him mm -hmm. about the, the potential for uh, the, the the first warp space flight, mm -hmm. or the first faster than light flight, I should say. It's just, it's not subtle at all. You look at Crowler, and he's dressed in browns. They're almost priestly garments. Mm -hmm. He's got this pair of glasses, which are really thick. I mean, proper sort of NHS specs thick mm -hmm. um, rims mm -hmm. and lenses. He he looks he looks like Milton out of office space yeah and um you know he's balding as well and he keeps his hands clasped together in front of him and he's very sort of conservative his even his features his, his mouth is permanently downturned and then you move over to marista and she is the epitome of 90s power dressing woman with her big old shoulder pads bright almost a regal kind of a purple her hair slicked back and her, her diction is really clipped. It's it's not subtle at all. But it provides a decent contrast to two very differing worldviews. Yes. Yeah, it does. It's, it, it handily lays it out there for us to, to see. Whereas Marista is all very much... Oh, we When she says, you know, um, the warp drive and it'll take us to this star. And he says, and then well, what do we do? And she said... Have a look around, <laughs> you know, because that's she's she's she has, as she says, like like uh, in the episodes that um, since she was nine, her parents used to take her to the planetarium, and uh, and she just wished she was out there. She's she's got all of this excitement about learning new stuff, whereas Crowler is uses the phrase quite a lot. Is there are many people. You know, for to impress on the Chancellor and and the other people in in the government that he is thinking about the best for the their people and their culture and the traditions. And I think a lot of people a lot of people are telling me that my idea is the best. Mm. 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 <laughs> 
Oh, now I'm straying too much into politics now, aren't I? But yeah, he says, like, there are many people that say that we're abandoning our heritage. There are many people that say, you know, we're adopting technology and now spaceflight and, ex and space travel scares them. And, um, and he's very much trapped in the past and, and with the ideology of their culture, I think it is it, like, you know, we are the Supreme people. There's nothing out there. Why do we need to go? We've never done this before. Why should we change? We've, we've, we're successful, strong, proud people. Yeah. Uh, but the funny thing is that the chancellor refers to their planet as Malcor three <laughs> when he's talking with Picard. Yeah. They would never call it that. No, I mean, it... they may be aware of other planets, but they'd never call the, yes, we're the third planets around Malcor. Yeah, I know that we're the third planet around the sun, but we don't call our, we don't call the earth Sol three, do we? No, I always think that, you know, to, for the fluff that they're not, they're not speaking the same language. It's all through the, universal translator so where he is saying their name for the planet what they call their planet malkor 3 they it could just be earth but the universal translator is changing it to malkor 3 for the benefit of picard because he knows it is malkor 3 do you know there's a really good example of the way that's done i watched um Star Trek Beyond the other day. Mm -hmm. I know, I know that I whinge about Kelvin timeline, mm -hmm. but it popped up on Netflix, so I thought I'd give it a go. Yeah, and um, it was quite an enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Run, it's enjoyable, it? yeah. But you've got the, um, the, the the second or first alien. What they they meet this alien with these kind of she's kind of a tentacle head, mm -hmm. and when she speaks. She's speaking, I think she sounds like some sort of Slavic mm. that she's speaking, but over her voice you hear a translation. Mm -hmm. And that's always kind of the way I imagine the universal translator to work. So I thought it was a really nice illustration of it. Yeah, that, that, that is good, actually. That's, that's how I always thought it would be. So you'd hear the two things. So you'd hear the language underneath to the comm badge or, or other equipment or implants that the people have for hearing it in their own language as well. Although, exactly, yeah. although how it works the other way around, it must be an ambient thing, like what the TARDIS does for you if you're a companion of the Doctor, why well, you can always understand people. You have lost me there. Right, well, okay. I'm going to take your word for it. And so maybe maybe it's like that with the, with the computer in the room. You know, they're on the Enterprise, and they said they it works through the comm badge as well. Mm -hmm. I think at some points to you know a little bit of hand wavium to get round to the whole fact that everybody speaks English. Oh yeah, this is well. This is Star Trek. We love a bit of hand waving. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, anyway, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's also I, not I, about. I digress. The, Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's also not about the technology either. Star Trek isn't, especially the next generation. It is about themes that are brought up in this episode. I think. Yes, and and the well, the whole of the next gen is all about. It is all about the story, and I think that's that that goes to show why it's if not the most popular series, it's got to be at least the second. What, sci-fi? In, in, well, in terms of the, just the Star Trek kind of canon. Oh, oh, the, the next generation has to be like the first or the second most popular. Yes. Yeah. I'd be the original series, I assume that you're saying the other one. I, I, I'd say the original, well, you see, it's difficult. You see, I, I think I, I like next gen, mm -hmm. but then... I look over to 
bearded Cisco, not pre-beard Cisco, but bearded Cisco, mm -hmm. and I go, well, actually, I'd like Deep Space Nine even more. And then I look at the original series and I go, well, we did Space Seed recently. Mm -hmm. That just reminds me how much I love this series. Yeah. So I, I can't decide. <laughs> no, Dominion War Arc in, in DS9 was pretty good. But anyway, we're digressing because we're talking about the Malkorians. Yes, we are. Mm. <laughs> Back to the Malkorians. Back to the Malkorians. I do, I do like um, some of the conversations that Durkin and Picard have. Some of them are pretty good, you know, where, where Picard is trying to put him at ease. It's like, my world's history is, has recorded that conquerors often arrived with the words, we are your friends, and we are not here as conquerors, Chancellor. What do you want? A beginning? But how we proceed is entirely up to you. Uh, I, I like it. It's, it's putting all of the onus on, on the continuing relationship and friendship that could be created on the Malkorians and how the Federation are like, Oh, what does he say after that? And if I should tell you to leave and never return to my world, Picard says, we will leave and never return. So it is, they're trying to impress on to them that they are the person driving the first contact. Yeah, and I can see so many parallels with, with the Malkorians and, and how, how we would act. I mean, they mm -hmm. are just us by proxy, really, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. They, um, sorry. Yeah, they are. No, I was agreeing with you. <laughs> I very much like the idea of the Malkorians as us because there is a great deal of a variation mm -hmm. in them. You do have Krola, who represents our conservative, more Luddite kind of, uh, kind of side. You have uh, Marista, who is our more progressive side. And then, of course, you've got the Chancellor in the middle, and it's... It's it is it's like the original series. You've got that holy trinity there, mm -hmm. three different facets of the same personality, mm -hmm. and I think they portray it really well. You know, for, for a what is it, fifty-minute episode? Yeah, and 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 they managed to portray these three quite distinct aspects of the Malkorian society. They do, and the other um, people in there as well from the Malkorian society. You've got Doctor Beryl, who's like. Yeah, I think he's an alien, but he's also uh, injured, and they have an, uh, a a, um, a similar thing to the Hippocratic Oath. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't care what he is, I, I'm not going to do anything to harm him. But then you have one of his uh, colleagues who um, says, when they find out, you know, that he's not Malkorian or they don't really know what he is, he says that thing isn't even the same species is what he says so you you also have good balance between how you got because you've got the political stage up there haven't you with minister and durkin and crowler then you've also got joe on the street and how normal people would react to this thing without having to worry about the political side of what they're doing yeah and we could also talk about the um well let's let's talk about the elephant in the room here xenophobia mm -hmm. the other yeah, and how um, someone who is different may end up in your country mm -hmm. and require some assistance. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the, the the doctor is he's he's a patient. Is his first and ongoing stance on that, and the other one is we shouldn't have anything to do with him. We should call in the security people straight away. 
because he's bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah I th- it's you're right. It's it is it is basic xenophobia. But then their whole society is that they are the supreme being, and these people, he's not one of us. He has to be a conqueror because it's the the fear of the unknown, or the the not the fear that the hatred. No, not hatred. I don't it's, think there's any hatred no. expressed in this in this episode. I, I think there is, um, as you, I think you had it right first time. I think fear mm. is is the definite overriding feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, anywhere, everywhere from the from the tense music mm-hmm. um, at the at the very beginning when they first bring in Riker, mm-hmm. um, all the way through to the actions of Crowler. Yeah, it's 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 fear of the unknown and the change, because Crowler brings up. You know the the reforms that you're bringing in is too much too quickly. We need to slow down. We need to respect our culture. And that same thing would go down to the people on the street as well, won't it? You know, you'll have some people who want to move forward and see what's out there and what we want to do, and then you'll have some people say, "Why change what we are now? Because we're good as we are." Yeah, I'm trying to avoid too many analogies mm. here. Me too. But, um, <laughs> I think um, the current state of play in a certain two uh, nations that we're quite familiar with, one close to home and one a little further across the water, mm-hmm. I can quite easily imagine this situation playing out there. Yes. In either. Yes. Whoops, I did it, didn't I? What's that? <laughs> I talked about politics. No, that's okay. We'll, we'll, um, we'll, we won't bring it up anymore. <laughs> No, no, I, but it's, I think it's there. It's important. I mean, it's it's an important. It it was filmed in the nineties, mm-hmm. and those those things were prevalent. We'd just come out of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So I keep referring to that end of this series, don't I? Well, um, it, it was a big thing. I'm I'm sure a lot of the writers were taking real world ideas and putting them into the show because it's when you're telling a story, you need it to be able to be relatable to. Well, let's okay. Let's 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 just say that the hospital, mm-hmm. the hospital where where Riker is is held, is in London, yeah. and that Riker, instead of being a Federation officer, is a Russian. In the Cold War. Y- yeah, that's right. You you would have people who's who whose first and foremost thing is well, I pledged an oath to do no harm and to help people, but then you'll have other people going, he's a Russian. He's here to so disconsent who knows what they've done um crowler brings that up yeah. in the episode as well he says like they've been here years monitoring us who knows what they've done what what discord they've sent they've sowed or or what damage they've done to their society exactly and if you replace differing levels of technology with differing governments mm-hmm. and Riker is a russian officer instead of a federation officer mm-hmm. i think you that in the 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even the 90s, and you're you're you've got a perfect recipe for creating fear. Yeah, yeah, and they do this really well. This this episode is is really good at creating that and getting their point across. Unlike me, <laughs> <laughs> unlike us both sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So that's 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 my that's my rant over. That's okay. I got it off my, I got it off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do like the Federation's idea of the Prime Directive. 
of of monitoring you know he he explains to the doctor you know when when a society such as yours gets close to developing warp technologies we like to meet on your turf somewhere where you're comfortable rather than a an encounter in deep space because who knows how that would go mm, well he explains how that went with the klingons exactly that that happened with the uh, when the vulcans first met the klingons as well the klingons just destroyed the vulcan ship oh, i didn't know that mm. yeah so so the klingons first rule is to shoot isn't it so who who knows where this planet is based in relation to the federation because you know at the end when um when marista joined um hitches a lift on the enterprise because she won't be able to stay and even durkin is like she won't be happy with the restrictions i must place on her you know and he's all willing for her to go because she'd be unhappy and he is a caring person who who tries to do the best for everybody and um and she and picard says we don't know if we're ever coming back this way will it be in your lifetime but unfortunately um they did it was almost like they planted an agent on the enterprise themselves wasn't it by taking on marista mm -hmm. because uh she later comes back as uh as Commander Toreth of the Romulan Empire. Oh, does she? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the Star Trek franchises in general have got a great um, uh, they've got a great way of reusing uh, actors mm -hmm. in diff in differing parts. And she played Commander Toreth of, of the Romulan Empire, who was a pretty tough nut to crack. I mean, there's things like a Jeffrey, uh, I, I can't remember his surname, but the guy who plays Wayne in, in, in uh, oh, yeah. Space Nine, he's, yeah. he's played loads of parts. Oh, has he? Yeah, it's, I'm just looking on Memory Alpha, you know, I love that website. But she plays, yeah, the, the lady who played Marista in this episode played Sub-Commander Taris, Marista, mm -hmm. Commander Toreth, and she was in an episode of... Um, a couple of episodes of Voyager as well. Yes, yes, she was. Yeah. So there's, there's, I think it's a great thing that they that they do, and they do it across the across the franchise is just keep reusing the same actors because once you've found mm -hmm. someone who's tried and proven and works in universe, then then it then uh, there's all reason to go back to them. Um, it just struck me that she's this idealistic. Uh, rocket scientist working to progress her, her society's future, her planet's future, and then suddenly she's commanding a warbird and a warbird and opening gun ports on the Enterprise. <laughs> that's, that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the same character. Maybe it's like a whole Tasha Yar thing. <laughs> yeah. How things change. Uh, how things change. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I just wanted to take a minute just to talk about um, Mirasta's visit to the Enterprise. So first of all, they, they take her to, to Ten Forward, which I think would be a great place to get started because you've got so many species there. Mm -hmm. But instead of dwelling on those, she goes straight over to the viewing windows 
and just gets to see her planet for the very first time mm -hmm. through those windows. And, um, and the very first thought that I had when I saw her doing that, because I'd love to experience that. Yeah. That, that would be incredible. I don't think I ever will. I think we've been born just a bit too early for that to happen to us. Mm -hmm. But what she's experiencing there is called the overview effect. Okay. Um, where, and I think Michael Collins summed it up the best. And Michael Collins, who was on uh, Apollo 11 mm -hmm. with uh, Buzz Aldrin and, and Neil Armstrong, he says, uh, he said at the time when he returned, the thing that really surprised me was that it projected an air of fragility. And why? I don't know. I don't know to this day. I had a feeling it's tiny, it's it's shiny, it's beautiful, it's home, and it's fragile. The overview effect um, has the effect on people of just removing all all borders and conflicts, and you just get to see that beautiful, as as Carl Sagan called it, beautiful blue marble before you. And it's 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 supposed to be awe-inspiring. And I know I'll never see it myself, like I said, but I've got a feeling that's what they were trying to convey that she was feeling at the time. Yeah, because they walk in, don't they? And there's, like, the blue guy sitting there having a drink. And there's other people standing around. And you're right, she just totally ignores them just to look out the window at her home. Yeah. It just, it just puts everything into perspective mm -hmm. for her which is i imagine how anyone looking out of the cupola on the international space station feels yeah yeah this is such a big world but so tiny when when you're up that high yeah it's it's amazing you don't see any national borders or no. or, or anything like that it's just that's home mm -hmm. it would be lovely to see that it'd be wonderful to see that incredible wouldn't it yeah but you're right i think we're probably born about 20 years too early unfortunately but you know maybe maybe your little girl will get to go maybe maybe she, she'll tell you all about it <laughs> yeah perhaps <laughs> perhaps so um and you, like you were saying um that feeling of home i think that a lot of the people in in this episode Crowler or Dr. Nilrem, who is the doctor that says the line, that thing isn't even the same species as us. I don't think they'd be struck by the wonder of it, of seeing their planet. More like, this is our place and we must protect it. That insular kind of view, you mm. mean? Yeah, that's it. This is, this is ours and we've got to protect it from you people. Because that um, that attitude comes along, you know, where after he, uh, Crowler tries to martyr himself with yes. um, to make sure that that they don't go down the path of space travel and get the word out there that these people have come and they are bad people because they're not us. When he's he's alive and well, because he didn't realise that the phase was set on stun. And he said, what is this place? They go, you're on their ship. And he's like, no, no, we can't. We can't be here. You can't do this. And he's still 
even though like in the face of it that his plan to derail this whole thing has gone wrong in his eyes he's still 100% against any change to his worldview of him yeah. being of, of Starfleet and the Federation being evil conquerors it's all about it's not it's not just about power but it's about the status quo mm -hmm. and he's happy with his life as he is as he has it and he's concerned with tradition and so on and this all this progress this new finangled stuff mm -hmm. is is disturbing it's it's again what we were talking about earlier that the the fear of the unknown and even if it's there right staring him right in the face as it is when he looks up at the ceiling mm -hmm. and realizes he's somewhere entirely different yeah that's he still can't accept it no. even though intellectually he can but but morally he can't he he's a he's a zealot in the sense that well he just tried to martyr himself and i think the way they they use the word martyr mm -hmm. and so he is a zealot as a result of that mm -hmm. yeah and even after he he was he tried to martyr himself and the phaser is only set on stun he he still begs the chancellor to say don't trust them they, they'll be bad for us it's, it's all going to go wrong it's all going to go wrong I, I do like when they <laughs> just as an aside mm -hmm. i digress again just as an aside when they first um when uh, beryl the dr beryl the dr beryl mm -hmm. when dr beryl talks about the phaser and shows it to Riker, he says oh it's just a toy um one of the when he leaves the room one of the other guys picks it up and does a luke skywalker with it and stares straight down the barrel <laughs> that's really funny how's that <laughs> But I, I guess what, you would if you didn't realise it was a weapon. Oh, what's this? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So mm. he just just goes and <laughs> I don't have to explain. No, you no. You all know about Luke Skywalker when he first picks up a lightsaber. <laughs> he looks at it. <laughs> oh, what's, what's that in there? Is that some sort of glowy crystal? <laughs> what happens if I press this button? <laughs> Would have been a very short trilogy. <laughs> that would have been. That would have been all the emperor's best laid plans. <laughs> anyway, so Crowler, Crowler is 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 a zealot, and mm -hmm. he's he is like, um, you know, I referred to Luddites earlier. For those who are not familiar with Luddites, they were around in the early eighteen uh, hundreds, mm -hmm. and they worked in the textile mills in 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 england uh, i think there were more towards the sort of the the north northeast kind of area and they uh, objected to the introduction of machinery looms uh, mechanical looms and automation and so they went and sabotaged these all because they were afraid of the progress and how it would um, them all out of jobs take away their livelihoods and so on mm -hmm. and and so if you hear anyone refer to someone as a luddite which crowler definitely is mm -hmm. even though intellectually he is is aware of 
the progress. I like how how this whole thing of of Durkin trying his best to um, believe everything is uh, um, going to be okay with the Federation, and he he is obviously trying to uh, bring his society out of the ideology that they have, you know, and move them forward and, and see what his people can achieve while given free reign to be able to do the, the things they achieve. I think earlier in the in the episode when he's talking to Jean-Luc Picard, he says, um, I go home each night to a loving wife and two beautiful daughters. We eat the evening meal together as a family. I think that's important. And they always ask me if I've had a good day. And Picard says, how will you answer them tonight, Chancellor? And he says, I will have to say, this morning I was the leader of the universe as I know it. This afternoon, I'm only a voice in a chorus, but I think it was a good day. So he is well up for leading his people into this new world, is which he said, you know, he said himself, I was the leader of the universe as I know it. And this afternoon, I'm only a voice in a chorus. After, yeah, I, th- I think that, sum, that, that sums him up extremely well, and that's mm-hmm. a great choice of quote. Yes, yeah, and um, and after he finds out that the Federation have been there for a while, you know, and and monitoring them, he is angry, obviously, because it's their worldview. But there is another part where it shows how he is fighting against his, I was going to say, indoctrination of his ideology, but it's not really. Picard says, I hope that we've found Commander Riker before you did, so this matter would not complicate your introduction. It was a mistake. And Durkin says, yes, a mistake I might have made in your place. I rather like it, actually. And Picard goes, like it. And Durkin says that you make mistakes, like any man, knowing them mm. that they're not all-powerful. You know, or there's, there's really not much to fear from having a relationship with the Federation. But because of how events unfolded in the hospital with Riker getting the beating and the interrogation and all the stuff where Crowler tried to martyr himself that he has to stop the first contact and delay the development of the warp technology in order yeah, to th- to prepare the people in regards to the society and culture he says you know like social reforms and education so that we can move forward and it won't be so bad as what happened with Riker. My take on it that Chancellor Durkin was less annoyed about the idea of having Federation observers on the planet and more about the idea that Marista didn't trust him with that information. I think he was perfectly open to the idea of Federation observers whilst keeping them uh, uh, under control, keeping a close eye on them. But it was that lack of that lack of trust engendered by Marista that that really irked him. Mm-hmm. Picard is in a difficult position uh, in regards to that because he doesn't know anything that much about the Malkorian culture and people, only what he would have read in reports from the observers. So when Marista said that you're going to have massive issues if you find if if people find out that people have been here for a while. So he took Marista's advice, didn't tell Durkin, and then it blows up a bit in his face after they captured Riker. I think that if um, Picard had approached the situation with Durkin, like he does in the off uh, after uh, at Durkin's office, saying that 
when Starfleet first met the Klingons, the first contact was disastrous and decades of war resulted. Um, the Federation decided that surveillance of that nature was necessary. You know, just, just monitoring or just looking out and learning about the, the culture. I think that it wouldn't have been a big of an issue and, and there wouldn't have been the breaking of trust if Picard had told him that, yeah, because you're about to launch your first warp ship, we've got people here and this one man has been injured and he's missing and we need to find him. I think that yeah. probably would have played out a little bit better. I think the question to ask would be, had Riker not been captured, would things have gone any differently? What do you think? Well, they do say at the beginning that they've stepped up their first contact protocol a little bit because Riker's gone missing. Because Riker was originally there to liaise with the surveillance teams, and that was, that was the Enterprise's mission there, to find out what was going on. They said that the first warp engine would be ready in about 10 months or something, so they're not even close to um, launching a ship. It's not like it was something over the next you know, couple of months or anything. And it just unfortunate that Riker got caught up in that riot. So they had to bring first contact forward. Yeah. Because so do you, do you think it would have do you think it would have transpired the same way? Do you think that they that the Chancellor would have made this same decision that he did at the end of the episode? No. He wouldn't have because at the beginning of the episode he's saying that they're gonna go ahead with the engine testing. And once the ship is built and ready to go and if that's when Federation make the official first contact, it's it will be too late for him to stop it, I think, at that point, because the ship will be there and it will be ready to go. Because that would be incredibly suspicious if, oh, this ship is ready to go, we're not doing it now. All of a sudden, for no reason. What That would create more conspiracy theories and unrest than it does now. Because Durkin is, is pushing through reforms like Crowler is warning him against. We're, we're led to believe that Crowler is, is a zealot, as you said earlier, but he's concerned that the societal changes that Durkin is pushing through are happening too quickly. We need to stop and take a breath. We need to consolidate what we've got up to this point and then move forward. Because he says, like, yeah, we'll go ahead with the, the building of the engine and then after that we'll take a breath, rethink everything and then move on from there. If Riker hadn't have been injured or captured and this whole episode hadn't played out, it'd be 10 months down the line. The prototype would have been built and I think Durkin would have still pushed on with with, with building the ship and sending the mission out. I, I think he would as well. I, mm -hmm. He would have uh, progressed with the building of the ship, with the testing of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still think the ultimate end result would have been the same in the sense that the Federation would have introduced themselves much in the same way as the Vulcans did mm -hmm. in Star Trek First Contact of the film. Mm -hmm. uh, it would have freaked out people like Crowler, who seemed to have a very, very firm grip on a large portion of society, and they would have withdrawn to do their own thing for some time. Yeah. So I think that the, the pro progress of the ship would have gone quicker, but the overall result would have been would have been the same mm. as a result of the, for, the the more conservative portions of society. Yeah, that's right. Although, although with this particular society, I think rather than it being a couple of years that it's been postponed, we're probably talking a couple of generations of being held back. One would hope not, but 
again, it's going to be down to it's going to be down to their their society itself. Mm -hmm. And remember that Crowler won't be around forever. No, mind you, we don't know how long these guys live. No, no, that's very true. And and the Durkin isn't going to be around together. Who knows that the next people that come in are unhappy with the societal changes and the the speed that the technology and new ideas and philosophies are being introduced. And people want a more back to basics regime for a while. Mm -hmm. You know the thing that will never die, though? Mm -hmm. Mirasta's power suit. Mirasta's power suit? No. Yeah, look at those shoulder pads. <laughs> no, no, that's that's some dynasty stuff going on right there, isn't it? <laughs> what? I want big hair. That's the only thing she was missing was big hair. That was, yeah, like a backcombed, looking like a, like the singer from Starship. Well, she she it was slicked back. It just wasn't there. Just wasn't enough of it to do what needed to be done. No, no, with the, with the view. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> yes, I am. I thank you. It does. It's funny. I'm really, I'm really so, good at derailing you. Aren't yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> no, I just, I just. This is another thing that I've recognised about Star Trek as well. It's, it's funny how all of these different cultures and everything all seem to have the similar sort of dress, don't they? It's, it's like what, what the Malkorians are wearing is pretty much what like non-Starfleet people wear. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, it's, it's funny how. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like that whole thing with the. Um, with that elder race that seeded the galaxy, everyone looks humanoid. Everyone has, everyone seems to have uh, evolved in the same way with the same tastes. Well, speaking of, I, I think this is evidence that TNG is set in the future and that coronavirus is never going to leave us because, after all, one of the well-known effects of the coronavirus is the loss of taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although, although those those uh, Starfleet, you, you can't deny it. No, no. Outside of the Starfleet uniforms, which are very functional, you know, I bet you could just pee right in them, you know, and it gets all absorbed <laughs> back in there as drinking water, like the Fremen on um on Arrakis in in the Dune series oh yeah yeah you know I, I said they could be like that but everybody else outside it's they all seem to be dressed the same regardless of the climate you know you're right there's yes. no taste it's coronavirus <laughs> hasn't been eradicated we've just nobody's nobody's luckily there's no more fatalities but everyone's lost their sense of taste <laughs> natural to blow the conversation <laughs> well of course <laughs> of course i don't even know where we were in the conversation no neither do i, I... a lot of these people you were you're talking earlier about um how a lot of people were in the different episodes of star trek a guy who played yeah. crowler also played the romulan did he yeah and you're talking about severe severe shoulder pads he he, he does He's, well, I thought you were going to talk about his facial features because they're pretty severe as well. I know they're done up in the makeup. But yeah. If you look at his his jaw, is 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 dead straight, and he's got big old cheekbones on him, hasn't he? I I said Romulan, but he was actually played the Vulcan. Now I'm um, feel bad. Well, 
Racist. Racist. Oh, he, they all look the same. It's it's weird that that guy, he was he was in he's played one character in Next Generation, one in DS9, one in Voyager, and one in Enterprise. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, that, I think that just goes to prove what I said earlier. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, yeah. That, that's it. It's like, oh, we need somebody who's available. Oh, this guy, he's been in here before. He knows his way around the set, around the studio. We'll just get him in. <laughs> I think it worked. When you've got someone who knows who knows the deal mm. and, and has, has proven their, their worth, why not? Why would you go to someone else? Well, yeah. Unless you wanted something truly different or wanted to get some fresh blood in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although although I do like the guy who plays uh, um, Crowler and how he plays Crowler is is very good. He he plays the the angry zealot conservative that he is, doesn't he? I think Crowler genuinely cares and loves his home, mm-hmm. his world, his society. In the same way that the Chancer presumably does as well, in the same way that Marista does, it's that they care and love their home in a different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same as the the political parties now. It's the same for you know activists and so on. Everyone, you know, people care and have have their their passions, but much as with our society, there are differing opinions, differing mm-hmm. views. Which, which is healthy, mm-hmm. of course. Although when it comes to zealotry, not so much. No, no. Without the ability to change, then you're just going to be stuck, and yes. it's, it will get worse for everybody involved because any sort of progress, um, progressiveness, will be stamped on, and then you'll have more and more restrictions placed on on you. Yeah. Have your passions. Have your beliefs. Have your principles. Be prepared to have them challenged, and be prepared to say, "Okay, you're right. Um, I, 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 we can compromise on this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I sound so pious. You do sound really pious. <laughs> Crowley doesn't seem like the person who would be willing to compromise, though. Durkin is very much a man who is willing to compromise, of of saying, "This is how we are. This is our traditions. This is our culture." However, we do need, as a people, to move forward. And this, this, this episode has played out between you've got Marissa's need to go forward with the next thing. We need to do this. You know, this is the next thing. You know, it, it drives her, the, the, the need to change and learn. Whereas Crowler's has the same need to honour the traditions. Yes. You know, keep it how it was. Do the, um, you know we've got yeah we do get new technology but we adopt it slowly and cautiously into our way of life so it doesn't change who we are fundamentally and his zealotry probably come out of the fact that his worldview was totally demolished because of the federation rocking up that it made him take more drastic actions than he would ordinarily the fact that he 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 says that um He's willing to die to defend his way of life. After he, he says that after he finds out about the Federation having officers on the planet, and then tries to martyr himself. That's the, that's somebody who is unwilling to change. I think. I yeah. think like even if, if at the beginning of the episode where Durkin says, "No, we'll go ahead with this thing, and then we'll take a breath," I don't think he would be happy 
if Durkin had cancelled the warp drive uh, project there and then because he, he says we've already had too many new ideas and technology introduced I think he would be happy if everything stayed the same until his until the day he died from where it is because too much has already changed yeah we could easily make historical analogies there's the Luddites that I mentioned earlier there was the the advent of television mm-hmm. which which brought about similar concerns uh, home computers the internet uh, the uh, space programs including the uh, the SN9 which is going up tonight for the first time hopefully fingers crossed um, there's, there's there's plenty of people who object to that and there always will be and again it's it's healthy to have dissenting opinions just not when you take them that far exactly and obviously this is a, a story meant to highlight the extreme ends of these two philosophies mm-hmm. yeah you know but but they there would be people now if 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 we were in the position we're saying like oh you know there's this new science project and like Elon Musk goes, yeah, I'll develop this faster than light space drive. And we're going to be, our first test is going to be to Mars and back. And it's going to take about two hours or whatever it is. There would be plenty of people who would oppose that. As, as, as many people who are fervently for it, there would be as many people who are fervently and perhaps aggressively, violently opposed to it. I mean, did you, do you remember the film Contact with... Jodie Foster. Yes. You know they they were in there in that bit. There was a group of zealots who blew up the gate, the the, the yes. first gate they did because they shouldn't be messing around with stuff like that. You know that, that's that's extremism on that level. I could see that happening if that technology was available, or or a warp drive technology was available now to us. So con- contact by by Carl Sagan. Mm. I I do recall reading somewhere i don't recall exactly where but i do recall reading that his that was his allegory for cern oh really and the concerns about cern producing a black hole and so oh on. yeah there was lots about that wasn't there kind of like the yes. y2k th- thing you know if it, it, people yeah. don't understand people are scared i remember where i was working at the time some guy was absolutely terrified of y2k and i said what would you you know it's, it's not going to affect anything because it won't. I mean, like the whole thing was predicated on on technology. It had already been surpassed and changed because it was all about a um, how the date was written in uh, processors. Yeah, how, how they were concerned that it would, once 2000 ticked over, mm. it would go back to 1900. Yeah, because and then... Yeah, because, they, because it was only... Um, because the what the Y2K thing was based on was, was older chips, which only had two bits for the date so it was only two numbers whereas they were yeah. already superseded so they were like people were compl- scared that planes would drop out of the, the sky or, or nuclear um, power plants would explode this one guy I said I remember saying to him what, what are you scared of like what your um, blender is going to come alive and explode or something because you never know it could happen I was like okay mate <laughs> That's, how would that happen you know, cause, I do like my blender. <laughs> yeah, I know. What is it going to become self-aware and terminate? Yeah, is it like the rise of Skynet? Because it's <laughs> all the technology. But like, it, it was it was that fear of the unknown. I'm not sure, but my coffee grinder was looking at me a bit funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a Tassimo. That always looks at me funny. <laughs> oh, 
I think you're in more danger than I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea how these work. I used to be an engineer, you know, I work in IT now, but um, I don't know how they work because depending on which which pod you put in, will do something different. So, like, if I put a latte in, you put your milk pod in, and then you put your coffee pod in afterwards, but it steams the milk. Do you know, it's, pr- it's probably something mechanical because I went to fill up the other day. Mm. My car's a diesel, and it was about seven in the morning when I'm sort of staggered out to the car, drove along mm. and pulled up at the gas station and uh, went to fill up and the nozzle wouldn't go in the car. Oh. And then I look, I look down and it's a green one instead of a black one. <laughs> yeah, and, that was uh, lucky. Well, I, I think there must be some shape or mechanical mm. element to it that stops it from going in. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for that <laughs> yeah. because otherwise I would have had a very expensive, very annoying day yeah, yeah just sit there on the forecourt crying about your car <laughs> yeah, probably yeah that, that, that would have been because i i think if if that happened to me if i put petrol in my car which is also a diesel i don't think i'd be able to do anything but just sit on the floor and cry after <laughs> you know just because of after like the, the few things i've had go on with it but i think i would i would place all of the problems and issues and worries that I've had over the last couple of years on me putting um, petrol in my diesel car and I think that would be the breaking point that'd be it for me I think the straw that broke the camera <laughs> that's right yeah I can feel you on that mm. one because it probably would have been exactly the same as me <laughs> yeah but this is it this is it this is my life now I'm just putting petrol <laughs> this, in the car this is my life <laughs> I'm just now. gonna that's it I'm not moving from here I'm gonna live on the forecourt of this petrol station my car is gonna be there and I'm just gonna sit here and cry <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that would be it that'd be it well look, if, if ever it happens to either of us just you know you call me first and and, and I'll call you first and <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll be able we'll be able to work it out together <laughs> yeah. you know talk, talk talk me off the edge <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> yeah and all of these worries about technology <laughs> could be the same as what um you know what like um they're, they're trying in this episode of, of things we don't really understand and what's that going to do for us cool okay so chris favorite character in this episode i really like durkin he is measured trying to lead do the best for his people keeping marista in check and also to a point crowler because none of the cast of the none of the uh, crew of the enterprise really did anything this episode i mean wharf was in it but he never even had a line <laughs> he just he, he just Walked up he, and escort, escorted the Dirk into the transport. Yeah, and then and then he picked up the phaser, which was like learned by um by Riker. Um, Crusher was in it for a bit, just just doing their job. Picard's diplomacy is really good in this, um, and how he explains things, and and you can understand why somebody like that would be, like somebody like Picard, would be prime material for first contact because of his empathy and understanding and just the fact that he's cool as you know he's, he's willing to make mistakes or willing to admit to the mistakes that he's made in the language of diplomacy that people will understand and he's very um very clear when he speaks 
um, when he first meets Durkin, he said, I've, I've been waiting for to open this, and it's a bottle of wine that his brother's made. And he said, we have a fruit on our planet called a grape, and we make wine. So he's really em emphasising how it's made, or what it is made out of, while he's just chatting to the guy. Did you notice that? I think in this episode, Picard just really shows himself as a as a man of class, mm -hmm. a diplomat, yeah. and a man of principle mm -hmm. as well. And I, I think that his interactions with Durkin and with Marista, to start out with, just solidify my my thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. I d I, well, I, it's, it's really hard to choose between who who the the best character in there because each of the three people from the Malkorians, uh, Marista, Durkin and Crowler, are played really well and they are very well-defined characters and they stick to them. So you have a progressive and you have a conservative and then you have the liberal in the middle who's who tries to temper the passions of each side. Yeah, the... The Holy Trinity that I referred to mm. earlier there is portrayed really well by those three characters. And, and to be honest, while I am probably more in line myself in the way that I act with Durkin, I love the optimism of Marista. Mm -hmm. uh, because, well, you've heard me bang on about SpaceX and Blue Origin and all this mm -hmm. exciting stuff in space, and you heard me talk about the overview effect. Yeah. How I would love to experience that. So I think my, my heart is where Marista is in the sense that I love the optimism mm -hmm. and Star Trek fills me with that. And so she exemplifies that, that, that part of me really well. And I can really relate to her, mm -hmm. the discovery, the unknown, the just finding out new things and, and living out her dreams, which is something I'd like to do. I would like to add a special note for Linnell, though. Yeah. Riker's bit on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do, I, I think she's well worth a mention, but only because I haven't met a woman like that and I am single and desperate. <laughs> was that Nev needs a girlfriend? <laughs> I haven't Actually, no, I don't need a girlfriend given my history. No. I still want one. <laughs> well, you, what you want to do is find a... An an alien that wants to to uh, make love to another alien. This is what I've always yeah. dreamed of. You're like, okay, that's a very niche kink, I think, isn't it? It is somewhat niche, but everyone's got their things. Don't kink shame. Look, I'm not kink shame. I'm not kink shame. A bit more human. I'll, I'll take a three-titted Martian. Well, and to be fair, Viker is a manly man, isn't he? He is a manly man. <laughs> And that's my thought. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. Pl <laughs> that's all right. I think we should call it a day there. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening to Shields Up, a Star Trek podcast. With me has been Chris. Hello. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you as well for your fantastic choice of episode. I'm so glad we revisited this one. Why have I not gone back to see this before? Next time, uh, we'll be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1, Episode 25. We're looking at an earlier one. Uh, this is my choice, Conspiracy. Conspiracy.
So, see you then.